Good you welcome to our annual missionary weekend on this Friday night. Good to see all who have come. I'm going to make a start and sing together Great Missionary Hymn 672. There's a call comes ringing over the restless wave. Send the light. There are souls to rescue. There are souls to save. Send the light. <clears throat> girl has appeared on our literature this year. Her name is Sonia, and Sonia's a little Roma child from the land of Romania. She belongs to a family that's very near to our hearts. Uh, if you come here to Balamoni, you'll have heard us speak about Stefan and his family of seven, and this is one of the little girls. Uh, just recently we have 
being able to organize a Roma pastor to start next week and go every week and have meetings in this area uh, so that the gospel will be preached to this family and to the families that live round about. So let's pray together. Let's seek the Lord as we call upon his name. Heavenly Father, we bow reverently and humbly in thy presence just now. As we draw near to the throne of heavenly grace through the merit of Christ, we thank thee for Jesus, his blood and his righteousness, and redemption ground, the grounds of peace, the grounds of the precious blood. And it is upon this ground that we seek thee now in prayer. From the beginning of this weekend, praying very earnestly for a real conscious sense of the presence of God. We've often thought that where the Lord is, there is a feast to be enjoyed. It's the presence of the Lord that makes any gathering, especially when your people come together. And so, Lord, be in the midst of this company of people tonight as we come to think about missionary work particularly and hear the reports and hear the challenge of the fields before us. Lord, we pray that you'll bless every part of the service, every song that we sing, the young people as they minister in song. We pray for Dr. Bill Woods that you will bless him. Thank you for the many years that he has served the Lord in the land of Brazil and for all that the Lord has done in and through his servant. Thank you for that very day when the boy from Belfast was called in grace by God to be a missionary of the cross. And for all that he has accomplished, we give thee the glory and the honor and the praise. As he talks to us tonight by way of testimony and challenge, we pray that we'll feel the burden in our heart that he would seek to convey by the help of God to all that are here. And we pray that young people especially will be moved of the Lord tonight in this gathering. Maybe some are right now seeking out the will of God for their lives, looking to the Lord for the future, maybe wondering if the Lord is calling them to be a preacher of the gospel, a minister of Christ, a missionary that will go to some part of the world. Lord, we pray that you will deepen that burden, that you will speak to them this very night through your word. We pray that Christ will be exalted and much will be made of him. And as we seek to obey the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel, may the good hand of the Lord be upon this weekend and may his name be magnified and glorified. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few very quick announcements that that we want to make tonight. Uh, First of all, we bid you welcome on this Friday evening. We've got some young people from uh, different youth fellowships here tonight. It's always a joy to see the youth on this Friday night, and we trust that you'll be blessed. But all who have come, if you're a member of the Missionary Council, Mission Board, or some other congregation, you've come tonight, may this be a good meeting. May we meet with the Lord in his word, and may God's blessing rest upon the gathering. There is a cup of tea for you tonight and some refreshments. I want to thank the ladies for providing that, laying it on for us tonight. It will be served in the Carson Complex, church hall and you can sit in there you can come back into the fellowship area here but after the meeting stay make yourself at home and enjoy some uh, good things together and fellowship the one with the other the offering and 
offerings these days we have just had at the door. Our people give very well that way, but we're going to lift the offering through the weekend. Don't want to miss anybody that wants to give. If you haven't brought an offering, don't worry about that. But what you see during this weekend, uh, this is what the, the finance will go towards. Can I mention a special breakfast tomorrow morning? This is in conjunction with our Christian school, and they're having a New Year's breakfast. So if you want to come back in the morning and get fed with a good fry uh, from half past eight through to 12.30, you will be made most welcome. And the fry is free, but you pay to get out. There's a wee offering or a wee gift that you can give for the Christian school. We'd appreciate that. Saturday and Sunday... Just let me outline very quickly what's happening over the weekend. Uh, Tomorrow night, there will be a video presentation, greetings from the mission field from various missionaries. We're thankful for the uh, videos that have been sent to us. There will be a report on the Uganda VBS 2019 from Jordan McCauley, one of the members of our youth fellowship, the Reverend Ray Karskaden, and it's lovely to see him tonight, Uh, not only him, Uh, but his wife and family. He will be back tomorrow evening in the will of God to make a report. Tonight you'll hear about the the video presentation. And the Hebron Choir will be singing tomorrow evening. Dr. John Wagner from the United States of America will bring the missionary challenge. So that's tomorrow night at 7.30. Notice the time, not 8 o'clock, but 7.30. Then on the Lord's Day, we will have a video presentation of Lucian Boangio, who uh, is one of our friends from Romania, he'll be singing, and the Hebron Choir will be singing. There'll be various greetings from Romania from pastors and friends, and the Reverend Reggie Kimbrough from the United States will be the preacher and bring the missionary challenge. In the evening, we're going to devote it to Ukraine, and the Ukrainian choir will sing. Pastor Valentin Pavlenkov will give a report on Ukraine. You will know that we have around 40 Ukrainians staying with us here in Balamoni, and they'll be present with us on Sunday night. And the missionary challenge will be brought by Donald Fleming from Faith in Action. So that's the, the program over the weekend. Very glad to have the Reverend Chris Gadden with us. We'll, we'll ask the Lord's servant just to come and, and introduce his video tonight. Uh, welcome, brother, in the Saviour's precious name. It is an honor to be here with you this evening, be able to come and uh, just to present this video to you uh, as I come into this pulpit and uh, see our dear brother, Dr. Bill Woods. It's, it is an honor to, to even be in the pulpit with such a man and how the Lord has used him over the years and how the Lord has used him to inspire so many. I can think back to my own, my own uh, younger years and how the Lord much, very much, even in those days, uh, challenged me through the reports that our brother gave. And I pray that that will even be the case here uh, this evening. This, uh, we have a video, as you know, around your own churches. Uh, there was a deputation video shown. Now, there's a lot, of, there's a lot more time goes into it than the, the few minutes of the video, and it's very hard to put everything into the one video, but we do are so thankful for the work the Mission Board have put into uh, the making of this video. We trust that it does get across much of uh, my call and indeed uh, our burden and some of the uh, the challenges that lie ahead of us. But just before uh, the video will be shown, I just want to leave just a few prayer requests, really, which build upon uh, what is shown 
uh, in the video things that are said. And I trust and pray that you will uh, be burdened to pray for us, as I know you have been praying for us already. I've been around a few of our churches already, and it's wonderful uh, to just hear them pray, knowing that these people have already been praying for us. And I know that is the same here, and we are so thankful uh, for your prayer. So very quickly, uh, just a few uh, prayer requests. The first one is, a, I suppose, a very personal one, and indeed I suppose mo- many missionaries would have the same one, and it's concerning our family. Uh, the Lord has called us, and we know that, Lord, the Lord is sending us out, uh, but it has an effect on others, uh, not, not just us. Uh, there is parents, there's family left behind. So I ask you, please, uh, do you ask, pray for us as we would go, that God would give us grace to when we'd say those goodbyes. But pray particularly for those family members, elderly parents, as we would take our leave from them, that the Lord would give them grace and even a peace in us leaving them behind. As I've said before, my in-laws, they may not be too worried about saying goodbye to me, but saying bye-bye to their, their little baby, uh, Rhonda, and to their grandchildren who they love so much, it may be a whole lot harder. So please do uh, remember them in your prayers. You will see in the video, again, it just touched upon there's and you know it very well here in Balamoni, there's a lot, there's a lot going on uh, at Emmanuel in Uganda. There's a lot of opportunities, there's a lot of works. Our, our dear sister Noreen, uh, as you know far better than me, she is a, a great worker. And there's so much work, we'll go as a family, and believe me, we'll, uh, we'll not as a family be able to, to do all that needs to be done. There's so much work, and uh, we need wisdom uh, for that work, that we'll do through the right doors, that we'll not just go and do what we think is right, but we will at all times know the Lord's vision and the Lord's will, and we will take the doors of opportunities that he would give us as a present. So there's that need for wisdom, uh, but I would pray it above uh, those requests for myself and for wisdom. A prayer tonight for workers. We need workers. Uh, those words of, of the Lord Jesus Christ that tells us that, the, uh, that we are to pray that the Lord send labors into his harvest, that we're told that the fields are white already to harvest. I've seen that particularly as I went out to the land of Uganda. There's so much work. We cannot do it alone. We need more workers. And maybe tonight, as you would pray, that Lord may even burden your heart, that you would be one of those ones that would consider going at the Lord's calling uh, to serve there in that mission field. But above all those things, oh, I can pray and ask for uh, wisdom for the right doors today. I can ask here tonight to send more workers into the field. And we can have all those things. And it's wonderful all the opportunities they are. But if the Lord doesn't move, all those things are in view. Because of all the workers, every one of you could come with me to the land of Uganda. And if the Lord is not the one that is doing that work, we'll work in view. And therefore, please pray that the Lord will pour his spirit out upon the work in these days to come, that there will be a mighty outpour and a mighty blessing, a salvation of souls, and a building up of the saints there at Emmanuel. I'm not going to say anything else. There's far better men uh, you want to hear tonight than me. Uh, so at this case, point... Uh, just the video will be played and thank you very much uh, for your prayers already and for your prayers in the future thank you as I look at my life I can see it's definitely been a journey, maybe not the journey that I would have planned, not the way I would have written that, but the Lord has written it. The Lord in in glory past has planned my life. Giving a word of testimony is always a joy for a Christian to do, and as I consider my testimony, that's what I see. I see the Lord's hand from a childhood, through my school years, into work, into college, into employment. 
and to see that all those things have been working together in accordance with God's will. It really is, it is amazing uh, to think of the doors that the Lord closed and the disappointments that have came, but then to see doors open again and the excitement and the joy. It's amazing just to see that the Lord has been at all from the very beginning. I have to say my burden for the land of Uganda goes back quite some time. It goes back even before there was a free Presbyterian at work in the land. Back in 2013, really as a beginning student in college, it was really then the Lord challenged me actually to pray that the Lord would open the free Presbyterian work in that land. I knew very little of the land, but yet this was the burden that the Lord put upon my heart and I began to pray. And it was amazing to see the Lord answered those prayers. When the Lord answers such a prayer, Firstly, of course, the first question comes to mind is, well, is the Lord opening this door for me uh, to serve? Uh, but then in the time to come, it appeared it was opening for others. I have to say there was very mixed emotions for me at this time. In one sense, I was glad the Lord again had answered my prayers and had provided someone to go and to labor there. While at the same time, I have to say, I don't know if it's the right word, but there was a jealousy uh, that maybe that wasn't opening for me and it was as the years go on the Lord did burden me to go to Corrigari to County Monaghan and very much I knew that was the Lord's will at that time but then uh, with uh, it appeared the door opening again for the land of Uganda very much the question came to me well is it now my time to go I left it very much with the Lord if the Lord if he wanted me to go that somehow uh, the mission board would approach me and it would be spoken to to go I left this with the Lord some time later I had to ring Reverend McMillan one Sunday afternoon and then just in the process of conversation, I don't know the exact words that Reverend McMillan used, but it was something along the lines of had I ever considered serving the Lord on the mission field. And it was really at that moment the Lord really struck my heart again with, with this uh, burden. Reverend McMillan may not have knew my burden, uh, but the Lord knew. And it was the Lord was truly, I believe, asking that question and not our brother. It was frightening to think the Lord is opening this door. It's one thing to be burdened and even have that excitement of maybe there being a possibility, but when it starts to become real, uh, a nervous definitely set in. I first visited Uganda then in March uh, 2022. Now that wasn't when it was planned to go. It was planned to go in May of 2020, but then uh, COVID happened. Uh, then uh, there was much waiting, uh, there was much anxious waiting at, at some degree, but yet the Lord was very good and, and stilled me. Uh, give me patience, give me great opportunities even within those times to uh, preach there via Zoom and then getting to go at, uh, and see people face to face. That was a, a wonderful experience to see these people that I had been ministering to, to stand beside Master Thomas as he translated all these things. It was a, it was a wonderful experience to, uh, to actually firsthand to be there amongst the boys and girls and the people within the church. In my time there, there was, there was a few girls uh, came to us at, at various times and were counselled. I remember preaching a very simple assembly. I brought some lollipops over me from home, some uh, 450 lollipops. I did a simple object lesson on, uh, on the free gift that I was given to them, of course, the free gift of salvation. And, and then to speak to those girls and hear that it was those things that I had said and just listen to what they were saying to me, that the Lord had spoken to them through that. It very much was a seal, I believe, on my call to the land of Uganda. I couldn't believe it. It was amazing to see the Lord at work and it really was the Lord had done these things. I remember the first one, it was really a shock. It really, as a minister, you think you're always ready, prepared for such things. But we live in a day of much barrenness and it was so encouraging to see some come and, and show that interest in the things of the Lord and to counsel them and point them to Christ.
I was there in March of 2022. I suppose uh, I regretted that I didn't bring uh, Rhonda and the children with me that time. It was, I suppose I, very naive, knew very little about the mission field and I was going to think in mosquitoes and disease and danger everywhere. But very much when we were there, it was a, a safe place, it's a, a very welcoming place. Very much it feels like a, a family. Uh, you have children boarding there, some 80 children boarding, and there's, there's always activity. You're never, it's never quiet and you're never lonely. And I believe the Lord gave me a comfort in this, thinking that this it could be a place uh, that you could raise a family, even with the challenge. Of course, there are challenges and difficulties, yet there was an ease given to me. And really, I wanted my wife and uh, the children to come out with me, even just to experience and, and see that for themselves. It was then arranged in June of 2022 to revisit the land of Uganda, to bring Rhonda, my wife, to bring John, George and Ayla Grace out as well. And uh, at first that was really exciting, the thought of going out and then reality kicks in that you're going to bring three small children on very long flights uh, to Africa. But even from the beginning to the end of that journey, uh, our children have never been better. And we could see the Lord's hand was clearly in this. The people were praying for us uh, when we made it to the compound. Uh, very quickly we were uh, surrounded by children and really the, our boys and uh, Isla Grace, they settled in so fast. It wasn't just that they played with the boys and girls, that uh, they got on with each other, but those true friendships were formed. Even since returning there's been letters have been sent both ways and it's amazing to see that uh, the Lord has answered prayers concerning this. was really one of our chief concerns about going to the land of Uganda. How do you raise young children in a foreign, in a foreign culture? And uh, really the Lord has been so good, I believe, in answering those prayers for us, even for Rhonda too. Uh, this has, it's been a, it was a great experience to be in Uganda, to experience firsthand, to, uh, to see the potential. Uh, she was amazed to see the potential that there is there in that land. And even, even uh, things that she can do, she has a real passion for working with children, uh, being a teacher for, for several years and uh, working within state education and in Christian education. Uh, she can see there's much that she can do there too in that land. Coming home from Uganda, that second visit, it was very much, uh, I knew that I couldn't, I couldn't really delay any longer, that something needed to be done. Um, having applied to the mission board to serve in the land of Uganda, I'm very happy that uh, the mission board have been very supportive, very helpful, very some very wise counsel given. And now at this stage, being approved by the mission board and by Presbytery, uh, we are with great excitement look uh, look forward to travelling out to the land of Uganda as a family. Having been now in the land of Uganda twice, it's very much clear to me there is a, a great work to be done uh, in the church that is there. Uh, there are some wonderful people in the church, but uh, there is clearly a need for some sound biblical teaching. Just, just the very basics uh, there is very much a need to, uh, to develop that, develop their understanding of the simple truths uh, of the scripture. Um, there's, there's much confusion in the land. There's uh, much charismatic influence. There's also much challenge in the area too of, of Catholicism and Islam, where the church is located. That really are the two main, two main religions. So 
being able to combat that and trying to minister in that, that will be definitely be the, some of the great challenges of, the, of our time there. I think from the beginning of our time in Uganda we will have to very much get ourselves involved in the learning of the language. Of course there is the children, they speak English, they're taught in English in the school, but the community, it's clear to be seen that there's many of the people speak only Uganda. So that'll be a challenge for myself and for Rhonda, and indeed as the family, as we maybe together would learn the language. I think it is vitally important that I'm able to communicate with the people in their own language. There's much can be lost in translation. I think even just from a personal thing, for those people to see, here's this outsider, yet he's willing to learn our language and he, he wants to speak to us in our language. I think that's so important as a church and even in, in evangelism. Well, what are we going to do about... Are we going to hide? Even outside of the work, the immediate work of the church, there is much opportunity in the, the community. I remember one phone call I had with Reverend McMillan and I told him that was probably uh, my biggest difficulty was there was so many, much opportunity, it was so very hard to see uh, what the right door to take was and that's really where we need much wisdom. Uh, every week there is a weekly open air. Uh, it's wonderful to see you go to a little village, you set up your equipment and the children and the adults, they just come out of nowhere, they sit down and they listen to you. It's, it's really not like anything that we have here at home. It is just a wonderful opportunity to see the potential that there is uh, in the community. Uh, there is a great opportunity to go around the doors and, and visit people, to give out tracts, to give out new beginnings uh, translated into Uganda. So many opportunities. You go down little paths thinking there's nobody and you find house after house and um, so many people, so many opportunities in that way. I can see going forward, maybe not in, in the immediate future, but definitely as we go down, uh, spend some time in the land of Uganda, I believe there's great potential for establishing further works. There's so many people, so much keenness and interest in the gospel. I believe there is great potential for the establishing and planting of other churches. I suppose we can have a very romantic view of the mission field, and, and I've read many missionary biographies, and those things, they're, they're inspiring, and it's wonderful to sort of feel that you're entering into such labours, but at the same time, I know I'm not one of those men. I know there's many challenges, many difficulties, loneliness even, just simple things like that. There's, there is concerns, um, very personal concerns, I suppose, in leaving a family behind, leaving elderly parents and so forth. And I say that's probably the biggest concern we have at this time. I consider my life really from those early days growing up on a farm to going to back into education, going into Christian school, going into the ministry and, and now venturing out onto the mission field. There's, there's clearly an, there is an excitement to see that the Lord has been working all these things together and that's a, an encouragement that the Lord has a purpose and a will in all these, that, he, that all those years that this is what he's been working towards. It's, it's amazing to think what the Lord has for us in the days ahead. While this step is very new to us, 
Uh, and a very steep learning curve, we acknowledge that. There's much to learn and we will be learning all the time. But we know with all the challenges, all the difficulties, we are not going alone. Those words of Christ are very comforting to us there in Matthew chapter 28. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Well, Uganda has a very special place in our heart, and we wish you well. And I'm sure you have questions for the Lord's servant and, and maybe his wife and family. So you can talk to them afterwards. One of our missionaries from this church, of course, is in Uganda, and that's her sister Noreen. We've had the privilege of being there quite a few times. In 2019, our young people went to do a VBS, and it was really a remarkable time. They were due to go back the following year, but we all know what happened, and there has been no visits to do VBS during those COVID years. But Samuel Johnson, our youth leader, is going to just give a wee report on the visit that our youth had back in 2019. Thank you, Samuel. It's a long way up. <laughs> Amen. It was great just to watch that video and uh, see the compound again and see uh, the, the children and the boys and girls and the staff that was there. But um, I'm sure you've all heard about our trip to Uganda in 2019. Um, it's a trip that you've probably heard about. It's a trip that's, but the, the story of it is worth telling again. And as I have been thinking about it um, again, it has blessed me and I hope it will be an encouragement and a blessing to you. Something very special happened while we were there. Um, from the beginning, however, I want to give God the glory in this. Um, I want to make clear that what we witnessed was a move of God the Holy Spirit. There's been much better people there before us and since us, uh, but we were just privileged to be bystanders watching what God did while we were there. Um, there was 19 of us traveled. Most were young people from the Youth Fellowship. Um, most were teenagers or those in their early 20s. And there was a few of us older folk there to keep them in, uh, in check. Uh, apart from that, the youngest was uh, Naomi. We couldn't leave her at home. She was just 10 at that stage, and she traveled along with us. And it's 24 hours of travel to get to Uganda from you leave Balamoni. Um, we were all pretty tired and sticky and a wee bit grumpy by the time we got there. But the, the welcome that we got at the school was extraordinary. And very quickly, there was a bond formed between our group and the boys and girls that were there. Um, there had been other groups there before visiting, but there never had been children there before and young people. And I think that was what made it very special for the children there at the school. Within minutes, we had lost Naomi. We didn't know where she was at. She was getting a guided tour of the compound by some of the other children, and away she went. And that was sort of how things went for the rest of the time. The, the, our young people just spent their time uh, with the, the boys and girls there. But now, we weren't there for a holiday. Uh, we had a very busy time. We started at 8 o'clock every morning. We left our accommodation, and uh, we started off with uh, a meeting with the the uh, assembly of the, the children there. There was 362 children there at that point, so it was a big crowd that we were chatting to in the mornings. 
and we had another assembly then at half past four in the evening. And in between times, we did three VBS meetings back to back. There was about 100 children in each of them. And uh, the, it was all packed with the usual things that you would do in a VBS meeting. We were doing crafts and all the rest of it, as well as having a children's meeting. We uh, finished the week on the Saturday with the, the first Emmanuel Christian School Sports Day, and uh, they had never seen sack races before, or three-legged races, or even uh, potato and spoon races. Uh, but they, we d- they did all that on the Saturday, and we, we very quickly discovered that they were better at it than us, even though we had been practicing. So uh, it was it was lots of fun on the Saturday. But uh, the meetings during the week were, I suppose, the the, the, the reason we were there. And the time is split between doing sports and crafts and then a normal children's meeting that we would have here in Balamoni. Can I say there was nothing particularly special about the meetings? They were really just normal um, meetings as we would have here. Um, the, the gospel was preached, and that was simply what happened. But God was pleased to bless the labors in a very special way. And I've never witnessed anything like it before during that week. There were 75 children there at the school professed faith in Christ. Um, the Reverend Park and the Reverend Brown, they went to speak to a, at a pastor's conference during that week uh, in another area. There was children there, 25 children there, came to know the Lord as Savior. We were very careful at the time we were there. We didn't make appeals. We didn't try to coerce the children. In fact, even those who uh, were getting saved, they, they weren't even given a Bible or anything. We were scared that it would make other ones want to perhaps... Uh, Uh, want to get saved just because of what they got. So everything was done very carefully. Um, It started on the Tuesday afternoon. Eight children waited behind after one of the meetings. Uh, They came in a bit sheepishly back into the meeting and they wanted to get saved. And eight were pointed to the Lord that Tuesday afternoon. The Wednesday was one of those days you'll remember for the rest of your life. Um, One of the teachers came to the Reverend Park and said, there's some members of my class want to get saved. I think he thought maybe it was three or four children. He said, bring them up to the corner here and we'll have a chat to them. And 44 children came up. Um, we, we thought they didn't understand what they were doing. So there was three different uh, occasions where they were tried to send them back to, to, their, to the, the main meeting. Um, but they didn't want to go. They wanted to get saved. And there, um, with Noreen and the Reverend Park, myself and Madame Sylvia, we, we just took them through the, the Roman road to, to the cross, those verses from the book of Romans, and 44 children professed faith in Christ at once. That afternoon, another four get saved, and each day there was others getting saved. Um, and even afterwards, one of the teachers came to Noreen, and after we had come home, and she said that just watching our young people had spoken to her, and she realized she wasn't saved, and she wanted to get saved. So that was something even after we came home that happened. Our young people, they, were, they, were, they have been blessed to witness something really special. It was a, an extraordinary move of God. Um, they sat in and listened while children were pointed to the Lord. They, they, they cried tears of joy as children got saved. Um, they witnessed something in their teenage years that there's many of us will never see in our lifetime. Um, God answered our prayers exceeding abundantly above all that we asked or could have thought. We all prayed that God would move. We prayed that God would save souls. I don't think any of us had the faith to pray that 100 children would get saved, but God answered that prayer. On top of seeing uh, the, the, the salvation of souls, there was other outcomes. 
we all really have a, a new appreciation of missionary life. Um, it opened our eyes to what life is like in the mission field, even just for a week. We understand a little more just of those difficulties that they face, of the sacrifices they make by leaving home, um, the vast mission field that is around the school there. Uh, our prayers can be much more focused on those needs, and we, whenever we pray for someone, we, we can pray for them by name, and it's not just a name on a page, it's a name of someone that we've sat beside and spoken to. Um, we also know what it's like to, to know that there's people at home praying for you, because that was something we knew was happening, and it was something that really uh, encouraged us while we were there. I trust this report encourages you to pray for our missionaries. Uh, for the work that they do and pray that God will bless their labours. Our plan was to go back in 2020. Um, you all know the reason why that didn't happen, but God willing, we'll, we'll get back as a youth group to Emmanuel at some stage. There's a number of teams going out this summer um, to various places, from, both from this church and through the, the mission board and the youth council. And uh, These trips are a great opportunity for our young people to get a first-hand experience of what the Lord is doing in, in the mission field, and just to see mission, missionary life up close. Um, it's an opportunity to do something more for God. Can I ask that you, that you pray for those mission trips, that they will be a blessing to those that they meet with, and that they will be blessed in their journey there. Amen. Thank you very much, Samuel. And as he said, it was a special time. It's a time that once in a lifetime. Well, the Lord was pleased to allow us to witness what happened in Uganda. Uh, you'd be walking through the, the, the grounds of the school and a child would come up and just say to you, I want to get right with God. I want to be saved. And that was happening every day for a period of time. Um, we say to God be the glory. <clears throat> just in a moment, our, our youth choir is going to sing. And immediately after that, Dr. Bill Woods is going to come and speak to us and show some slides by way of testimony and challenge. Uh, we're very glad tonight to have missionaries and pastors and uh, folks here tonight. The Reverend Patterson and his wife are here and Pastor Peter Craig and his wife-to-be is here. He's stealing. He's stealing one of our young people away, kidnapping her, as we say, uh, but we wish her well as they serve the Lord together. And uh, we're so glad to have Dr. Bill Woods. I want to thank Matthew Cosley for uh, bringing him here tonight. Uh, I just want to say that uh, Bill is supposed to be isolating, okay? His immune system is totally down, and therefore he, he can't afford to get a cold or anything like that. And as soon as he speaks, he will be leaving. He can't mix with any of us tonight, so you'll understand that. Uh, but we are thankful that he's here. We had the privilege of going to Brazil three times, uh, a group of young people including my son David the first time, and then my wife and I went, and Jonathan and I went, and we had a great time visiting the land of Brazil. And my wife and I stayed with Bill, and he very, very humbly gave up his bed for us, and he went down. He slept in some other wee room downstairs at that time. So thank you, Bill, for every memory that we have of visiting the land of Brazil and for the really enjoyable time. Uh, we're going to have the young people, and then our brother Bill will address us. Youth Fellowship, please. Thank you.
I just go ahead. Go ahead, my brother. I've always counted a great privilege to come to Hebron Presbyt- Free Presbyterian Church. Some of you here tonight have known since the early 50s. And I'd really love to stay behind afterwards and have fellowship with you. But because of my condition, that is not possible. I have no resistance to coughs and flus and all the viruses that do around. So you will understand. When I thought about this meeting this evening and prayed about it, I realized that I had no conditions to stand here and preach a sermon to you. (laughs) Somebody said you never had. But uh, I thought that I would limitate my words here tonight to a testimony for all that God has done for me over the years in Brazil. During the years that I was in Brazil, I had three visits from your pastor, uh, the Reverend Park. He, he came with a large group. He was preaching to a, a church there, and I was translating. The second visit, he came with his wife and uh, Mrs. Davison. I told them we were leaving on a limousine to visit a small church in the interior, but the limousine was a hard seat in the back of a lorry. The third time, he came with uh, Mr. Uh, Macaulay. He's here speaking to the children, and the missionary Lucy Marr is translating for him. When I begin to give my testimony this night and tell you, I want you to understand only God could do the things that took place in my life. And I want to relate some of those miracles in the moments that God worked and stepped in and changed my whole circumstances. And I hope that something that I say tonight will really be an encouragement or a blessing or a challenge to someone. Yes, only God could work the miracles that took place. Like some of you know my experiences and my, my, all the, the things that took place, uh, you've heard them so many times. You can be patient with me tonight. I was born on the 5th of October, 1937. When World War started in 2000, uh, two years later, my mother rented part of the schoolhouse there in Valley Gown where we really spent the war years. I started school on my fifth birthday. And then in her home lived uh, Anora Mercer. She was a school teacher. And after school and sometimes in the evenings, she would try to compliment what the teacher was trying to teach me in school. But I was a very slow learner, and she couldn't teach me to read or write, or even to learn the alphabet. I was seven before I eventually uh, learned a few words and began to read. When the war was over, we moved back to Belfast, and I went for some time to Orangefield, a primary school. Oh, I got the cane every day, every day, because I could never get my spellings right. I was sent to the headmaster. Uh, he gave me the cane. I was sent to the headmaster a second time. He sent for my mother, but I was a slow learner, and I couldn't learn my spellings, and I still can't spell, by the way. After the time in Orangefield Primary School, I managed to pass a qualifying exam and go to Belfast High School. Albeit, I was a year older than everybody else in my class. The other classmates were all 12. I was 13 when I started in Belfast High School. I was one of their worst students. My Latin exam there, my average out of 100 was just over 7. 
three exams in a row. I took zero in the physics exam. And uh, the physics teacher wouldn't let me, let me back into his class. I didn't get the cane in Belfast High School, but I got the mother's shoe every time the report came home. I remember very well the day that the results came out of the leaving certificate. In those days, it was called the senior certificate. Senior. When I went into the office, the staff looked at me and said, the marks that you have been getting all along, you couldn't possibly have passed. To their surprise, I had passed. But I had no credits or, or distinctions. I barely passed in four subjects. And I thought, well, that's a, a, a useless piece of paper. I couldn't use it to go on to further education and those sort of marks. The only thing that it did for me was save me from my mother's shoe. Because when I was going out, she made a very profound theological, correct doctrinal statement. She said, my God, help you if you failed. I thought it was a useless piece of paper. But God had a plan for my life. And that useless piece of paper one day was vital in opening the door we to study medicine in Brazil. God has a plan for every life. I want all the young people here tonight with your life before you. Be sure you know that God has a plan for your life. I came in contact with the gospel when I joined the 30th BBB company attached to Orangefield Presbyterian Church. I was 12 years old at that time. The officers and the Sunday school teachers had an impression on my life and I I, I, I knew that I needed to receive, but I just didn't know how. But when I was 14, in 1952, I started to attend the Ravenhill Free Presbyterian Church. I sat under the ministry of Dr. Paisley. And one Sunday evening there, I went into the choir room in July. I was 14. I was still in short trousers. It was just a boy. I said, Lord, save me. I didn't tell my family I was the youngest of five, and I knew my brothers were going to laugh and make fun of me. But on Wednesday night, my mother pointed at me and she said, you got converted. I was flabbergasted. I said, who told you? How do you know? She said, nobody told me. I saw the difference. Yes, God had made a difference in my life. And praise God, even a 14-year-old, he can make a difference and change our lives. But in those early days, in the 1950s, it wasn't easy to be a free Presbyterian. My aunt had worked for Professor Davy from time to time, and so I got into trouble at home because Professor Davy wasn't popular in the Free Presbyterian Church, and the, uh, and the Free Presbyterians were very popular in, for, for, in Professor Davy's workplace. I was only uh, saved a few weeks, maybe a couple of months, I was still 14, when there was a missionary meeting in the Martyrs in the Ravenhill Church. The speaker was Mrs. Eads from the Cape Verde Islands. She was better known in Belfast as Jessie Munn. And she spoke on that word from Nehemiah, send portions to them for whom nothing has been prepared. At the end of the service, she said, I want all the young people to come to the front. We want to pray with you. And you will say to the Lord, I'm here. If you want me, send me. I went forward that night. And I said, Lord, if you want me to go, I will go. I didn't realize it would one day mean 58 years in the Amazon rainforest so far. 
But uh, I did tell my parents this time. My father looked up, he said, mission fields? <laughs> You'll be lucky to get as far as the potato fields. It was sometime later that I, uh, in 1956, I asked my pastor, Dr. Paisley, about missionary training. In those days, uh, Whitfield College didn't exist. And he suggested that I would go to the uh, Worldwide Missionary Training, Worldwide Missionary Training College in Glasgow in Scotland. I knew I was going to the Amazon. And I'm going into missionary training, I felt I had to terminate a two-year relationship that I had been carrying on. And then I spent two very profitable years in Glasgow. On the last day of my uh, training there in Glasgow, we were all, each one of us, called into the office of the staff, and they gave us our last instructions. And they always asked Mrs. Robotham, the principal's wife, to pray. And she always prayed the same prayer for each student as they left. Beware of the barrenness of a busy life. In January of 1959, I applied to the Acre Gospel Mission for work in uh, the Amazon Valley, and I was accepted. I also asked for permission to become engaged, but it would be about three years before that relations also fizzled out. I didn't go to Brazil in 1959. I came to uh, Balnagarvi, I believe it's called. I came to Jim Atchison's barn, where we would work with the, the faith mission worker Billy McGee for nine months in evangelistic works. That was very near to the uh, Cabra Free Presbyterian Church. And the wonderful people from the Cabra Free Church were the backbone of our missions there. And the wonderful people from the Cabra Church have prayed and supported me and helped me and encouraged me over from that very day. Finally, in 1960, I left for Brazil. In 1962, I was in Canotama. I was there alone. The people that I'd lived with in my first year in Brazil had gone home in furlough. Canotama was just one street Wooden houses, most of them falling apart, and then another street penetrating up into the jungle from the edge of the river. Our house was one of the best houses in town, but it, like all the houses there, it was infested with rats, and I had a long time to get used to the rats running along the headboard of your bed at night. My first task in Canatelmo was to help put up the little church that we we uh, got going there and in Canada. But the first work of any, any, any missionary is to learn the language. I was on a visit on one occasion to the Boca de Rocky. The Boca de Rocky had shops that we didn't have in Canada. And uh, I got one of the senior missionaries to write down two phrases because I wanted to buy batteries for the radio. I went down the street rhyming them off and I thought I had them off perfectly. And... Uh, uh, I should have said when I went to the shop, do you have any batteries? But I just changed one letter, and instead of saying pilus, I said, The man looked very strange. He said, See? I said, But what I had really said, do you have any daughters? <laughs> he looked at me. He said, si, senor. I said, I want six, please. <laughs> and look what it did for me. Well, in 1962, God sent wonderful missionaries to Kanatama. Although they hadn't come to work with me in the town, 
they'd come to go into the forests around the, 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 the town of Kanatama and try and make contact with a very hostile tribe of Indians called the Jews. Arne would go right up into the Juma territory. There he would put up a rough house for himself and another one for the woodsmen that would work with him. And from time to time, he'd leave just after dawn, walk for about ten, five hours in the afternoon and come to a village that the Indians never used. And there he would spend the night. The next day he would move on another four hours to a village, village that they sometimes came to. There he would leave presents. I went with him on different of these journeys. A group of Jumendans were surprised uh, and sur taken by surprise by a group of hunters. And they killed off all the men and all the children. And only one woman and her son, uh, a little boy called Peter Boyce, survived. I remember going on one of those journeys with Arnie into the Indian villages, and Etienne was with us. We put her in the front because she recognized where the Indians had put traps across the way. On one occasion, she said, I'm staying in the village. I'm not coming back. She said in the village, her family, her friends come out. We never knew why, but when they come out right away, they killed her. They took the little boy into the river and tried to drown him. They escaped and ran for a couple of days through the forest until he came to where the missionaries were. But it was in October 1965, after three years of work, I was with the team on that time. We arrived at the village just about six o'clock in the evening. It was getting dark. We could hear the Indians speaking. They were at home. And then the boy was terrified. He could hear the voices of the people who he had seen kill his mother. He could hear the voices of the men that had trailed him into the river and tried to drown him. The woodsmen were also very afraid because they knew that anyone who ever met the Indians in their village was killed right away. But my colleague, the missionary, he was very calm. He said, look, I prayed and prayed, and I know for assurance that this is the day that God has sent us here. We're here in the center of God's will. And the safest place on earth is in the center of God's will. Be sure you're in the place where God wants you to be. The next day, we met the Indian chief and his wife. We couldn't speak their language. We couldn't say anything to them. Uh, the, the woman that I, I, I met on that morning sometime later became ill and her family went outside the village and dug a grave and then they carried her out and laid her down in the grave. She lay back and waited for her family and her friends and they filled it in. This lady, they buried her alive. They did that because they thought burying her alive, she, her soul would fly away like a bird to uh, a paradise for all eternity. Oh, we would arrive many years too late to tell her that the way back to God was through Jesus. Well, that was many years ago. But you know, tonight, in the Acre state of Brazil that I live in, there are many groups of Indians in the forest that have never been contacted by the outside world, still living in the Stone Age, and never had the opportunity to hear the gospel. 
When you pray for Brazil and the Indians and the work in the Acre that I have been representing, remember to pray for uh, the missionary from Hillsborough Church, Samuel Poots and his wife, who's working the Acre with uh, the, 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 the Indians there. In 1962, a lady across the street called a little boy called John passing by, and she said, will you take this over to Guilherme? It was fish. The plate was very hot, and I looked down when I took it away. His hands were burnt and blistered. He said, but I don't feel any pain. I burned my hands. I cut my hands all the time. I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't know what. I found a book on tropical medicine and a chapter on leprosy. I realized that that little boy had leprosy, and that was why his hands had no feeling, his feet had no feeling, and they were being destroyed, and nothing was being done to help him at all. And then I discovered in almost every house in that little village there was some hiding away that only showed their face in the window and scared to come out because they had that disease. It was some time before I got a bottle of uh, medicine for, for that little boy. The following year, in 1963, I visited the leprosy colony in Rio Branco. It was a four-hour walk through the muddy road uh, circled by, 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 by the forest, and then we came on a group of houses where these people were segregated. Oh, I saw so many people with fever, people with open wounds, people who were in great pain, but there was no painkillers, there was no, nothing, nothing. They'd just been isolated there. And it made a great impression in my life. The same year, I made a point of going to the leprosy hospital in Manas, the lep we called it then the leper colony. I wanted to go there for one reason, a young man who was studying, Miguel, was studying in the Baptist Seminary in Manas. He went to see a doctor. The doctor didn't give him a prescription. He locked him in her side room. And then he told him, you be quiet because you're now a prisoner. And the army has been sent for. And the army came and put him in the back of the lorry. They drove him out to the leprosy hospital, the leper colony. And they told him to get out and he was left there with just the clothes that he was standing. They wouldn't let him go back to the seminary to get his belongings. Well, in 1964, when Dr. Paisley heard of Miguel's situation in that leper colony, 800 patients there, he had very little chance to get good treatment. He took up an offering in the martyrs. It was 165 pounds, and that was a lot of money in those days. And it was a poor congregation who weren't with many wealthy people in the martyrs in the Ravenhill Church in those days. But that money was sent to Miguel. He left the colony there in Manassas. He went to São Paulo. He stayed in São Paulo for some years until he was cured of leprosy. He came back, finished his training in the seminary. And for many years, he was the pastor of a Baptist church in, in the interior of uh, the state of Amazonas. And so I thank God for the generosity of the Free Presbyterian Church, the Ravenhill Church, that helped that young man get better treatment and was end up with him preaching the gospel over many years. But it was in December of 1967 that I came to the conclusion that I had to do something. I had to move. I had been asked to see a boy who was bitten by a snake. He was dying, and I said, I'm going to pray for you. She said, I don't want you to pray. I want you to do something. But what could I do? But in December of 1967, I prepared a letter for the mission board at home, my mission society. 
I knew they weren't going to agree. I told them I was going to Manas. I wasn't coming back into the interior. I was going to study medicine. It was a ridiculous idea. It was a stupid idea. As a child, I'd always been called the stupid one in the family. I was a slow learner. How would I get into the university? If I did get into the university, how would I study medicine in a different language? I stood praying, shall I send my letter? Well, I take it, Lord. Is this a time to move? And a little girl came to the door. Her name is Falster. She said, my mother sent me to tell you that my sister, Sebastiana, can't go to school because every time she walks, her feet bleed. Sebastiana had terrible deformity in her feet. And she said, nobody does anything to help. And I remembered the words, do something. So then I took my letter to the post office. I handed it in. The postmistress called me back. She said, a letter came for you last week, and I forgot to give it to you. And uh, I took it home. It was a Christmas card. And when I opened it, uh, that Christmas card, it said these words, where God's finger points, there God's hand will make the way. And I said, yes, Lord, you sent a little girl to tell me nobody's doing anything to help her, 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 her father. And now you're promising when I move forward, you will open the way. And when God calls you, yes, he will make it the way possible. I went to Manas. Manas was a big city. That useless senior certificate I presented to the educational authorities. I, of course, only showed them the front page. I didn't show the back page. It was too low marks. But I had to take exams in Portuguese, history of Brazil, geography of Brazil, very simple exams, and it was revalidated. It didn't take me into the medical school, but it gave me the opportunity to make my inscription in, 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 to take entrance exams to the medical school. There were hundreds of young people, young Brazilians taking those exams. And of course, true to form, I failed the physics exam. Now what are you going to do? Well, God's hand will make the way. And God worked a real miracle for me that time. At the end of January, the university discovered that eight places had not been filled in the medical course. And so they repeated those exams in February. And that's a real miracle. I got through the exams in February. There were 155 competing for the eight places, but I got through in second place. The Lord had worked a miracle for me. Some years later, I went into the I was in the university, and I went into the apartment that took care of the entrance exams. I asked the professor in charge, how many times did the university repeat the entrance exam? He said, never. I said, no, they did in 68. No, they didn't. Yes, they did. No, they didn't. We had quite an argument. He said, look, I worked here in 1968, and I know no exam was repeated. And then he produced a book that gave the list of all the exams and all the people who had passed, and the dates that they had passed, and it revealed that in the month of January, I had passed those exams, but I hadn't. I passed them in February. Because oh, it worked a real miracle to get me into the university. Yes, I could start my, treating, my, my training in the uh, federal university there, but that year I couldn't work. I had no financial support anymore, so I had to look for work and employment. I taught English privately. I taught English in schools. I got translation work to do. And then at the end of the year, I came to Northern Ireland. And from then on, well, the Missionary Council sent monthly allowance 
for my support for over 25 years. My own church sent a monthly allowance for my support, and many people from the Free Presbyterian Church, uh, my own church and other churches and other, other denominations, sent for my support. But now I face just a hard six years of study, and for me it was a hard time. But you know, I learned that hard work and stickability can overcome that lack of, intent, of, 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 of uh, intelligence. In 1974, I graduated from the, the, the medical school. I went to Rio de Janeiro right away, and I took a two-year residency in a, uh, a hospital there in ophthalmology. And then I came to Belfast, and I worked for a year in the Royal Victorian Hospital in the eye department. And finally, I went to Dublin uh, to the Eye and Ear Hospital for a couple of months. And to finalize it all, I set exams set by the Royal College of Surgeons. It wasn't a FRS, anything like that. It was simply for a diploma in ophthalmology. But can you imagine? Someone in my family was always referred to as the stupid one, slow to learn, dumb. And here I am taking exams in the College of Surgeons. God had worked miracle in my life. God doesn't call you to the job you're fit for, but God fits you for the job that he calls you to do. In 1979, I returned to Brazil to the Aqui State. I started my work tending primarily the people with leprosy. When I operated in Rio Branco, I had a very good operating microscope. But when I went into the interior, I didn't have that facility. I was on a short visit home to Ireland, going back through the States. And uh, my friends in Brazil said, if you're coming back from the States to Brazil, go to Leticia in Colombia, because one side of the road is Colombia, the other side of the road is Brazil, and you have never had any problem with customs. I bought in the States a very good operating, portable operating microscope. But when I got to the capital of Bogota, I discovered I had not only to change planes, but I had to go through customs. And you know, the customs, they, they took all my baggage from me. Locked it up in a room. Finally, they pushed me out into the airport, turned the light out. The customs area was in darkness, and they closed the door. I said, Lord, what do I do to go back to Brazil without any baggage? Uh, do I stay here? How do I get the baggage out? But God again would step in and work yet another miracle in my life. I went to the airline desk, and I explained my situation. A man got up and he said, come with me. He took me out to the patch where the airplanes were all being filled and refueled. He pressed the lever, and the carousel that takes the baggage into the customs area started going round. <clears throat> he got down his hands and knees and ran through the rubber flaps. And I followed him. got my baggage onto the, the carousel again. He had gone out, the baggage had gone out. I was just ducking down when the uh, customs man came running down. But as soon as I went out through the flaps, the man outside closed, turned off the, uh, the carousel. Not only had it turned off, it had put down the iron door so that nobody could get in or out. But the custom man kept shouting through, I know where you're going. You're going to Leticia. We'll get you there. I'll send a radio message and we'll pick you up in Leticia. The airport in Leticia is a very calm place. But that day, they were... Uh, and turmoil because the customs were there in full force. They were opening everybody's baggage. 
the man in front of me in the queue, he turned to me and said, I think they're looking for somebody. I said, oh, I wonder who it could be. Well, when he was taking his baggage off the, the counter, he was closing his case, getting, he take, taking his baggage off the counter, God will work another miracle for me. He looked at me, thought I was a priest. And so he said to the customs man, there's your Santa Padre Passa. He said, let the Holy Father go. I thought they're going to kill me in Ireland when they hear. But I made the sign of the cross as best as I knew how. And then I looked at the customs man, and I gave him a very good papal blessing. I said, the Lord bless you, my child. The Lord bless you, my child. Thank you, my child. Before he had time to, 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 to think, I picked up my baggage and ran. I got off to the other side of the road, the Brazilian side, as quick as I could go. I wasn't taking in contraband to Brazil. I was taking a microscope that would help me operate on the eyes of people all around the Amazon Valley because I operated from uh, three different states and even in Bissau in Africa. When you have hands that have no feeling, even eating can be a terrible problem when you lose your eyesight. But if the cataract is removed, then the, the, the quality of life removes. I remember very clearly going to the leprosy hospital in Manas. I would go there from time to time. I would go on Friday night and stay there Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and sometimes even into Wednesday. I would attend the patients and I would operate. And I would bring up that portable microscope that helped me so much. Yes, I would go to the, the, the leper hospital, leper colony there, I would operate, it wasn't in a sterilized theater with nurses all around me, but it was in a grubby little health post with only two rooms that probably have never been cleaned for a long time. On top of a stretcher, I remember that Sunday morning very well when I operated Senior Jose Major. Senior Jose Major had been blind and he had no feeling in his hands. And so his wife had to put the food in his mouth and help him around the house. And he'd been in that condition for 17 long years. And that Sunday morning, I was alone. No, I wasn't alone. The Lord was with me and your prayers were with me. Life changed for that wonderful Christian man, Senior Jose Major. But at the same time, I was asked by the Acre government to take over their leprosy control problem. People who thought that leprosy, or people who said, uh, who were in their colonies, fled. And they went away to live in the very depths of the forest, the headwaters of the river. Just on the river Juro Alve, at over 400 patients. It took our boat six weeks to tend each one of them. I couldn't do it on my own, so I got a, a group of people to, to help me uh, and to work with me, a dermatologist, an orthopedic surgeon, nurses, physiotherapists, uh, cleaners. And together we worked to get the proper treatment to every patient. I would spend six weeks, maybe in this boat, this would be my home. The picture on the right was taken on Christmas Day. Many days I would spend uh, traveling by canoe, walking through the mud. The River Tarawaka, this is what we, the River Tarawaka near the town of Tarawaka, but this is the place in Tarawaka that uh, we would go to, right at the very headwaters of that river. I would travel by horse, sometimes three days through the forest, and some of the bridges that we had to go over weren't very secure. Would I get over? Yes, I would get over. 
On all those trips, I give out hundreds of Bibles, thousands of every home crusade literature, and, and uh, 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 many Gospels of John. The team that started working with me in the early 80s are still working there. Most of them are still working there. And the prevalence of leprosy in the state was reduced by 98%. I'm glad I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. In 1963, when I visited a leprosy hospital in Rio Branco, Adelaide was just a young girl. The priest had obliged her mother to take her there and leave her. I visited her in October of last year, blind and crippled and and, and, and in a terrible state. But that doesn't happen anymore in the Acre State. In 1982, they brought me this little girl called Doralisa. Yes, she had leprosy. There's marks on her face for leprosy. And, of course, uh, after three years, the marks had gone. There was still a scar. I saw her after 30 years, and uh, she'd hardly remember her taking those medicines. Yes, in 1962, that little boy burnt his hands in Kanataman. When he learned that I had studied medicine and was working in the Accra State, he came to live in the same town that I was living in so that he could get ongoing treatment. His hands were terribly deformed. I had to put him in hospital to amputate a leg. When he was in hospital to amputate a leg, he met Maria Nunes. Uh, Nurse Emily Gilchrist from Castle Dirt Church uh, led uh, Maria Nunes to the Lord. Today they're proud of their son. But over the years, I would still tend... Uh, uh, little John, or now uh, he was in his middle age. In October last year, I visited John and Maria in their home. He was 12 when he burnt his hands. He's now 72. So that was 60 years. Not many follow their patients up for 60 years. This little boy about 10 years ago, yes, he had leprosy. It was very complicated. His hand was... Uh, Indeed, swollen his arm, had a terrible nerve. If left undone, it would have given the same deformity that John had. But I called the orthopedic surgeon. We took him to theater and operated on his arm. Today, he's an airline pilot. He's taken here with the governor's estate. In October, he came to visit me in my home. And I'm so glad that I was there when he needed me in those days. But in 1979, when I went to the Acre State first, there were many young people in one of the, uh, the leprosy colonies. The seal man and the right all had to have legs amputated. But there was a little boy who uh, had serious problems with leprosy, but uh, he, he, uh, he didn't have any deformities. His mother was also living in the leper colony. I called her one day. I said, you've got to take your son away from this place. You've got to go back home. She said, I can't. I was a school teacher. When I developed leprosy, I lost my job. My husband left me. I said, I can help you financially for a short time until we get your pension from the government. And she took that up. And it was gifts from a family in the Raven Hill Church that helped that family and helped that boy while he got proper treatment and he was eventually cured. They went to Manas. I, I never heard for many years. But in 1918, I was coming home. And uh, this gentleman came a few days before I left. He said, I want to speak to you. I said, well, come in. Do you know who I am? No, I have no idea. He said, I'm Neto, the little boy that was in the leper colony 
It was many years ago. I said, what do you work at? <laughs> I said, I'm a pastor. And so I thank God, here once again, gifts from the Free Presbyterian family had helped not only to get that man proper treatment, but today he's preaching the gospel. I praise God for all his protection over the years. I traveled hundreds of times in these 58 years in this small uh, motor, one motor plane, and God protects us. Sleeping in a place like a shelter with no walls, just a roof, no floor, a spotted leopard was growling round all night, growling from time to time, making a noise with his ear that they flip when they're about to jump on their prey. But God protects us. But God doesn't protect us all the time. Sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers. And one danger in the Amazon forest that I never escaped from was the mosquito. Because I had malaria more than 40 times. But all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. 14 years ago, I came to Ireland uh, to uh, seek my treatment, really, to, 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 to be here in Ireland. No, I wasn't home for treatment. I was home on a visit. And in December of that year, I had terrible malaria. And I also had a very serious lung infection. My friends, Dr. Tom Geddes and his wife, Lucy Marr, insisted in taking me to the... the uh, Craig Allen Hospital where Tom had worked in the emergency. And the last consultant that I saw, he said, yes, your lung has improved, but just sit there, the nurse is coming to take a routine examination. That routine examination revealed that I had multiple myeloma, uh, uncurable cancer of the immune system. Many times I've heard the consultants say the medicine's not working, the disease is going forward, the cancer is, in, is, is, is getting on, going forward. And in those moments, there's a verse that always floods my soul. Great peace of they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I suppose that many of you here tonight have faced similar situations. You may hear your boss saying you're fired, there may be problem in the home. But remember, in all those circumstances, God's peace can overcome. God has a plan for every life. Young people, put this in your mind today. He's a plan, a brilliant plan for your life. What he did, the miracles he worked in my life, he can work for you. Be sure you're in the place where God wants you to be. And remember to beware of the barrenness of a busy life. Oh, and yes, if God called you, he will make the way. He will open the door. Because God doesn't call you to the job you're fit to do, but God fits you for the job he sends you to. Send portions to them for whom nothing is prepared. Yes, there are still many who have never heard today. It may not be with the Indians in the Amazon forest, but it could be in Nepal, in Pakistan, in Kenya, Uganda, uh, Spain and Ireland, but God has a place and there are people waiting for you to come and tell them for God so loved the world. With the Reverend Ron Johnson, I visited a group of leprosy patients in the Cameroons. They had been expelled from the city. There was no paramedic, there was no health post there, they didn't have any medicine, they were just abandoned there uh, as the disease progressed. It segregated from 
the, the, the population. As we drove away, they ran after the car, shouting, oh, don't go, don't go, don't leave us, come back, stay with us. But I couldn't. Remember, God has people waiting for you to tell them the way of salvation. Thank you. Appreciate that. Mervyn, could you come and lead in the offering hymn and I'll get Bill sorted here. Thank you very much. Take some sorting. <laughs> Thank you, brother. That's a great challenge. So send I you to labour unrewarded, to serve unpaid, unloved, unsought, unknown. We remain seated while the offering is lifted, please. <clears throat>
Just a couple of things before I, I bring a very short message tonight and then we'll have finished, finished around 10 o'clock. Uh, we have a video presentation of what we were able to do last year in Romania. And then Keziah is going to just give a quick report. Thank you. Not sure where the volume has gone. Is there any little thing that's changed since the last time? Give me the thumbs up when we're ready. Okay. I love it when technology comes together. Keziah, maybe you should come and uh, bring your report. You got it? Okay, Keziah, you come on up anyhow. Don't believe in luck, but third time maybe we'll have success. Looking back over 2022, the Lord has enabled us to serve him in the land of Romania in various ways. It has been a joy after the awful COVID years of shutdown to get back physically into the country and preach the gospel and be involved in so many areas of the Lord's work, including practical ways. The first visit after COVID was in February when Jonathan and Aaron came as traveling companions. In a very short period of time, we visited Stefan and his family, a real joy to see them again. Our main purpose was to visit a new area, the county of Bezo, where in a population of 130,000 people, there are only five evangelical Baptist churches and maybe a few other small witnesses, just a few hundred believers in total. God has opened the door to reach a people near to my heart, the Roma community. We flew to Timisoara and spent time with the Deborah House Guards. Of course, we took a day to visit Moldovanoa and our very dear Roma friends that we have ministered to over the years. We preached the gospel to them and having fed them spiritually, we helped them physically with some food provisions. We also took the services in Bethany Baptist Church and drove four hours to visit Pastor Sabine in Alesht. While there, we visited the school ministry and the poor community. The highlight of 2022 was the vocational Bible school, visiting Moldovanoa, introducing our team to the Roma colony that we have come to know and love over the past six years. They live in very poor accommodation and surroundings. A few days were spent at Deborah House, interacting with the girls and sharing, as always, the message of Christ. We then spent several days in Alesht doing vocational Bible school for the very first time in that area and working with the Roma children and also with the church children. We took the opportunity to deliver food parcels to the poor families of the community. Susan and I returned to Romania at the end of October. We visited Deborah House and the girls helped us assemble 120 shoebox gifts for the poor 
Forty of these were delivered to the Roma children in Moldovanoa, who were delighted to receive an early Christmas present. It was a happy day among these little ones that we have come to know. The other shoeboxes went to the poor children of a village called Rekash. We then flew to Bucharest for a day to visit Stefan and Krina and their family to distribute some clothes and food. Florentina, now aged 12, is very dear to our family and we have tried to help her over the years. I was able to return for a few days to visit the poor in the Bezo area and see some projects we have helped with and plan with the pastor some future projects and possible visits. On returning home, we raised money to provide chicken coops for the poor Roma families in one of the churches so that they could have fresh eggs every day. We also financed a project to provide a hot meal once a week for the poor families connected to another Roma church. I want to say a huge thank you to all whose hearts the Lord touched and gave so liberally and compassionately to these needy families. Never forget my motto text when dealing with the poor. It has been in my heart for years. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Psalm 41 and verse 1. Three pallets of clothes were prepared and sent out in December to keep families warm in the winter months. These have arrived safely and distribution has commenced. Again, thank you to all involved in this. Your time, labor of love and generosity is very much appreciated. A small group will travel out for a few days in February to see the work, meet the people, see the projects in operation firsthand, be an encouragement to the Lord's people and share the gospel. In the will of God, we shall return for a vocational Bible school in the summertime, working alongside various churches and ministering to the Roma children and people. We are so glad and encouraged that our youth fellowship is making this an official part of their outreach this year. I finish with one of my favorite missionary texts. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. These are the words of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ, as he stood near Jacob's well outside the city of Sychar and exhorted his disciples to have a missionary vision. I encourage you to hear him who is the redeemer of souls as he would exhort us to do the same in our day. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields. May God be pleased to give us a clearer and deeper vision for the lost souls of humanity and do what we can to bring them savingly to Christ. Last summer, I had the opportunity um, and the privilege to be part of our church outreach team to Romania, something that I had been looking forward to for a long time. And it was amazing to finally be able to go and experience what before I had only seen in photographs. Um, so on the 24th of June last year, the team set off 
on our journey, and after a wee delay in Munich Airport that evening, we arrived in Timisoara, where we would be based for most of the time that we were there. On the day after we arrived, we travelled around two hours to visit a gypsy community in a place called Moldovanoa, which is just across the River Danube from the border of Serbia. Um, this is one of the parts that I was most looking forward to, as I had seen photos of some of the children before from past years, um, but nothing compared to actually being there and seeing their big smiles um, whenever we all got out of the car and their open arms just wanting you to um, give them a hug or lift them up. Um, before we left um, where we were staying to travel there, Mr. Park shared Genesis 12 and verse 2, highlighting where it says, I will bless thee and thou shalt be a blessing. And I just hope and pray that we were as much of a blessing to them as um, they were to us. While we were there, we spent time with the children playing um, duck, duck, goose, tennis, and other games like that. Um, and some of our team went down to Lidl to get them some food and other necessities um, that we could give them. And after we gave them this, um, we brought the children to a pizza restaurant and had dinner with them. Um, which by their faces they clearly enjoyed very much and some of them um, even got all washed up in the outside tap and put their best clothes on for this occasion which is something that we daily take for granted. Um, being there to witness the condition these people are living in was very touching and quite indescribable. Um, even as we were bringing them back to their homes everyone in the team was surprised as all of our phones started alarming a weather warning which told us that due to a powerful storm we should avoid travel and take shelter but while we were returning to a proper roof over our heads and warm beds this was not the case for these people that we had just spent the um, day with and um, before we left them mr park shared with them the gospel and it's our prayer that god will continue to work there and move in more of their hearts through the practical love we were able to show them the next um, day was a Sunday, and we spent this with the people of Bethany Baptist in Timisoara. Mr. Park um, preached, and some of the team had the opportunity to testify. Um, it was actually a baptism service, which was lovely to be part of. And as you can see in the picture above, um, this is one of our friends from over there, Ellie. Her and her family um, translate for us, and it was very special to be there um, for her baptism. The next couple of days we spent with the Deborah House girls um, who have been rescued from abuse and are now under the care of Christian parents um, in the Deborah House. We really got the opportunity to get to know a lot of these girls as we spent the days playing sports and games and begging and crafts. Even with the obvious language barrier, um, we friendships were able to be formed in the short time we had. Um, on, the days, oops, on the days we were there, we went inside and were able to have a time where we could share the gospel with them. Um, we sang choruses and a couple from the team gave their testimonies each day and a short Bible talk was also given. Um, then we went straight from there to where we would spend the next couple of days, which was a place called Alesht, about four hours away. Um, there we worked with Pastor Sabine from the Holy Trinity Baptist Church. In the mornings, we did a VBS with the Roma children there, which held the same kind of structure as the, with the Deborah House girls, with sports first. Um, although I have to admit that I kind of found myself staying with the little ones who were too small 
um, to play the big games of football and things. Um, and then we had a short meeting, the same as before. Um, every day, we went through some of the I Ams of Christ, and they each had wee colouring books to help them remember. Um, on the last day with them, the parents came to the meeting, so we were able to share the gospel with them as well. And we also distributed bags of food around their homes. Um, which again was very touching to be able to see um, the places where they were living. Um, then after we had some lunch each day, we went to Pastor Sabine's church to do a VBS with the children there, um, which was very similar to any Bible club that we would have here um, with crafts, sports, and then the memory verse and the talk. Um, we also took part in the Sunday services there before our return to Timishwara and then home. Um, I must say, it was quite a reluctant flight home for a lot of us because we didn't really want to leave. But I'm so thankful for the time that we had there. And it was, incre- it was just incredible and unforgettable. And I'm very excited to, God willing, go back over again in February and also this incoming summer as well. And I'd just like to say, if any of you are considering a mission trip anywhere in the world, I would highly recommend it. And don't hold back because you think that you're too shy or too quiet or not old enough, or anything like that. If God gives you the opportunity, um, take it and you will be blessed and be a blessing to others in ways that you might not even know or be able to imagine. And just lastly, I would like to encourage you to pray for the work over there, for all the gypsy children, um, for the Deborah House girls and the churches over there, and that everyone that we met and were able to share the gospel with um, would come to know the Lord as their saviour. Thank you. Thank you very much, Keziah. Really appreciate that. Um, long enough in Balamoni to see these children born into the church and growing up in the church, coming to know the Lord and then having desire to serve him. And that's the joy that our session and committee has here, young people that love the Lord and want to do something for him. I want you to turn in the scriptures just for a short time to James chapter 4. <coughs> Good to see Kyle and Elaine as well. They were part of a Ugandan trip back in 2019. And uh, Barry and others, and his wife Ruth, they've been out in Uganda many times as well. Just those final verses from verse 13. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city. And continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be in the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapour that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That's a wee word of prayer. <coughs> Father, we give thanks tonight for this meeting, for a sense of your presence, for the challenge of every report that we've listened to. Thank thee for the wide open doors to the mission field through the world, into the nations of the world. Thank thee for our brother, Dr. Bill Woods, and the way that the Lord moved in his life and used a young man that had no formal education and yet 
We think of the accomplishments that he has been able to do. And Lord, we pray that you'll bless him, even in infirmity and weakness now. We pray that you'll encourage him, and as he travels home tonight, do keep him safe, and Matthew, as he drives him. Speak to us now, just in these closing minutes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just one question to ask you tonight, and it's the question that we have in this portion of God's Word. What is your life? I think we're all familiar with the scenario that James sets before his readers here. He tells us of those who were presumptuous about the future, planning for the future without any thought about God, thinking that they could carry out their business plans for a whole year ahead, make money, prosper, and advance in their business pursuits, build their bank balance, and accumulate their wealth. But it was all godless presumption. They had a 12-month business plan, but they never considered sickness. They might fall sick and not be able to carry out those plans. They never considered the economy. Would the economy be favorable to their business plans? They never considered their product. Would it sell? Nor did they consider the fact that thieves and robbers that were so prevalent in those days could have uh, taken all their wares. And they certainly did not consider the possibility of death. Instead of saying, this is what I'm going to do, they should have said, as we're told here in verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. I want you to note what God says about such men that presume about the future without considering him. Verse 16, now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. You see, how true it is that all our future plans will be completely subject to the will of God, both in the ability to carry them out and also in the success of them. In the middle of this whole scenario, the question of our text is posed, what is your life? And as we close this meeting tonight, I want you to consider this question, what is your life? It's a most important question. It's a question that's filled with challenge and application. And I pray that the Spirit of God will search out your heart just now in a very powerful way. Because if this question comes to you from God, and it's God that you hear in your heart asking the question, that's going to make a vital difference to the way that you respond to it. What is your life? You can respond to this in simple terms as a professing Christian. And I'm speaking to Christians now. I'm speaking to those that profess to know the Lord, whatever kind of profession that is that you might make, because there are those who profess, but there's little evidence that they truly know the Lord. There are some who say they're Christians and they are often absent from God's house with no good reason. You rarely see them a second time on the Lord's day. They're rarely at a prayer meeting. You hardly see them getting involved in God's work. They, they never witness. They never go on an outreach. Prayer is not much associated with them. And as for Bible study, it hardly exists in their life. That's a whole different situation because in all likelihood, those people have never, ever been truly converted. But I'm speaking to God's people. What is your life? Talking to you that really know the Lord. And the evidence is there that you are Christ's. 
You are faithful to God's house. You are faithful to the place of prayer. You spend time with God in the sacred place. You possess a burden in your heart for the lost and the perishing. Can I talk to you just for a few minutes at the close of this service? Can I challenge you tonight from God about your life or what your life might be, what it could be for Almighty God? God is not going to call someone who is a mere professor without any kind of fruit in their life. It's unlikely that he's going to call a backslider into his work unless they are, first of all, restored and forgiven and then commissioned. But it is very likely that this night God will put his hand upon some individual or some individuals this night or across the weekend as we have our services who love the Lord, who desire to serve him, and some perhaps who at this very moment are really wanting to know the mind of God and his will for their lives. So here's the message. It comes in the form of this Bible question, what is your life? Three simple thoughts as we close. I want you to think first of all about the brevity of life. And James describes this in the text. It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time. We all know tonight, in the words of the hymn writer, that life at best is very brief, like the falling off a leaf. And I think that the longer you live, the more that you come to really appreciate that and understand that. I am now 60 years of age. You look at me and say, I don't believe that, but it's true. I am 60 years of age. And I know that the majority of my days, my years in this life, have already been lived. Unless I'm going to live to 120 and plus, I'm well past the halfway mark. Uh, in fact, uh, somebody said that a preacher once came with a measuring tape of 70 inches and he, and he held it up and he was thinking about the three score years and 10, 70 years. And he, he held it up and, well, if I was to put my, my marker beside where I might be at the 60 mark, well, you've just got that little bit at the end. So I'm being very real tonight. What a joy it has been to serve the Lord these years. Went to Bible College, 1981. I was ordained to the Christian ministry in 1986. And I spent four years in England, seven years in Porto Vogue, and the past 26 years in Balamone. And I know that my time is running out. And I just want to tell you tonight, I've rededicated my life to the Lord and to the ministry that he's given to me. And I've promised the Lord, whatever days I have, long or short, I will give those days to him. But even, even if I live to, to 70 or 80 or more, life is very brief. It has gone by just like a flash. 41 years ago, I went to Bible college. That's really incredible. Whatever our duration in this world, whether it is short or whether it is long, and those are relative words, it is brief. At best, very brief. Life at best is very brief. That could refer to longevity, the, the, the length of your days in this world. It could refer to prosperity. Some people think the best days are when you prosper in this world. It might also refer to felicity, the, the happiness and the joy that you have. You could call those the best years, but our lives are short. The Reverend Robert Murray McShane, the great Scottish preacher, 
that man who prayed, Lord, make me as holy as it is possible for a pardoned sinner to be, died when he was 29. David Brainerd, the missionary to the North American Indians, died when he was 29. His sister, Jerusha, the flower of the family, contracted the same disease that he died of, and a few months later, she died at the tender age of 18. The great C.H. Spurgeon passed from this scene of time when he was 58. The great American evangelist D.L. Moody, he died when he was 62. William Carey, he's known as the father of modern missions, he died when he was 73. And one of my great heroes of the faith is Gypsy Smith. He lived long days on this earth compared to the others. He lived until he was 87. These men were so different in many, many ways. But they had one thing in common. And that one thing is this fact tonight. They had a brief life. Yes, 29 signs so young. 87 signs so old. But my dear friends, not compared to eternity. No matter how long a person lives, it's a brief life in this world compared to the great eternity of God. So I want to tell you tonight that we're only here, want to remind you of this for a short time. Only one life and it will soon be passed. And it's only what's done for Christ that will last. The brevity of life. The uncertainty of life. And again, James draws attention to this in this text of Scripture. You know not what will be in the morrow. You do not know when your life will expire. You might be 15, 16, 17 years old and your life could come to a conclusion. You might get into your 20s. You might even get into your middle years in this world. But you're going to die. And your tomorrow is very, very uncertain. I do not know what lies ahead and neither do you. You might die tonight. Very unlikely that young people here tonight in the prime of life will die tonight, but it's possible We know of sudden and unexpected deaths. We've all been there. I'm sure you have had friends who have passed from this scene of time. Whenever I was growing up in the Portadown church as a young man, there were a number of us used to run around together. We talked about going to Bible college and serving the Lord. One was a young man called David Greenaway at the age of 16, going to a meeting. He was tragically killed in a motorbike accident. A number of years ago, soon after I came to Balamone, there was a young girl working in one of the, the chip shops locally here in the town. 17 years of it, she dropped dead. Didn't know that she had a problem with her heart, but out into eternity at such a tender age. And so I'm asking you tonight, what is your life? And if you were to die today or in the near future, what has your life been for the Lord? How will you stand before him on the great day? What will you present to him? What stars will be in your crown? What trophies will you give to him? What treasure have you laid up in the life to come? Whenever I was a teenager in Portadown, we were going through a church, I believe, that was passing through many revival. The young people, the older people, they were on fire for God. We were fully involved in God's work as teenage people. When missions came, we did everything that we could to help with those missions. We went out on track distribution almost every Sunday afternoon, going around the housing estates in Craigavon and Portadown, giving out gospel literature. 
We were at the prayer meetings as young teenage people. We were at the youth fellowship. We helped out in the children's work. I was teaching in Sunday school from the age of 17. I went to Bible college at the age of 19. I would have gone earlier, but it wasn't practical. We didn't need to be told. We didn't need to be forced. We didn't need to be coerced into this work. It came naturally, spontaneously, willingly, because God was moving. God was moving in our hearts. Teenager, I'm asking you tonight, what is your life for Christ just now? In the light of the fact we know not what will be in the morrow. I'm asking you young people, young men and women in this meeting tonight, what is your life? You that have been saved now for for 10 years and more, what is your life? I tell you, it's very brief, and you don't know what tomorrow has in store. The brevity of life, the uncertainty of life, and then there's the activity of life. You see, in this passage, James is drawing attention to, to men, even women, whose lives were full of activity. They were business people. They were buying and selling. They were intending to get gain, as the passage tells us here. So they were very active. And I'm asking you, what is your life as far as activity is concerned? Is your life live for self, for ambition, for accumulation, for getting gain like like these people? Or is your life live for God? Only you can answer that with an honest heart in the presence of God tonight. What is your life? You ought to be a businessman, a businesswoman. I'm talking about the business of the king. The king's business requireth haste. I'm talking tonight about the harvest fields of the world. I'm talking about the the Lord's vineyard on the mission field. There is no greater business that you could be involved in than the Lord's work. And you note how this chapter ends. I do want to mention verse 17 because we've had Bill Woods tonight and Bill Woods has made this his lifelong motto text. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. Young people, if you know to do good, to serve the Lord and you don't do that, it's sin in your life. And if you know to help people and you don't do that, it's sin in your life. I just want to say in passing that we have had one of the greatest privileges tonight listening to Dr. Bill Woods because Bill does not speak any longer. And he wanted to come, and his heart he wanted to come, and he's made a great effort to be here this evening. We know what his health is like. We know that his immune system is down. We know that he's been told by the hospital to shield. But he was determined to come, weak and frail though he is, so that he might be able to speak to you young people and challenge you. What is your life? Bill Woods is over 80 years of age. I think he'll be 86 this year. Who will take his place? Who will go to Brazil and be a missionary there? Who will take the place of Wesley Graham, be a missionary in Nepal? Who will go to the land of Africa? We've had missionaries have retired home from Africa. Who will go to, to Kenya, to Liberia? Who will go to Eastern Europe? We have had the privilege of going to Romania. We have been able to be many missionaries for these little short visits that we've been on, but we have no missionary in Eastern Europe who will go or to some other place in the world. God is looking for spiritual businessmen. Will you go tonight? Will you sign up? Will you answer the call? 
Will you say to the Lord in your heart, here am I, send me. Will you present your life as a living sacrifice and say to the Lord tonight, oh God, if you want me to go, I'm ready to go. I'm prepared to go. Because God is looking for you to be his servant. Maybe here at home, maybe further afield. I don't know what God is doing in your heart, but he's calling some of these young people that are here in this meeting this evening. May you hear that call and may you respond willingly to it for Christ's sake. Let's bow together, please, in prayer. It's been a great night. I've really enjoyed being here, listening to the various reports and uh, singing. And then, of course, the, the testimony from Bill. And the Lord just asking now, as we close, what is your life? He's making it a challenge to you. How will you respond? What will you do? Will you say, here am I, send me? Sometimes at these meetings, we, we ask folks to raise their hand or stand to your feet or come to the front. We're not going to ask you to do that tonight. If God's working in your heart, I don't need to ask you to do that this evening. But if God has spoken, we want to hear about it and we want to be able to meet with you and counsel you and encourage you. And tonight, as we come to the end of the meeting, I want to say to you, if God has been working and we can help you and point you in the right direction. And just come and indicate that after the service this evening. There'll be a wee cup of tea and something to eat, but we have plenty of time tonight. We're not going anywhere. But God is looking for you tonight. What is your life? Almighty God and gracious Father, accept our thanks for this meeting and for all that we've seen and heard. Challenge our hearts, burden our souls. Give us a new vision, a fresh vision for the mission field. Help us to lift our eyes and look on the fields that are white already to harvest. And Lord, deal with us in mercy and grace and call people into the work for Christ's sake. Amen. The hymn 532, Above Thine Own Ambitions, Here, another voice is sounding clear. It is the call of God to thee, O leave thy all and follow me. I'm going to sing this hymn and we'll ask Phil if you'll come and close in prayer and give thanks for the the food tonight as soon as we, we finish.
must thank the Reverend Park for his faithful ministry this evening. And our desire, our prayer would be that the Lord, by the power of his spirit, would burn that text into our hearts and souls this evening. What is your life? It is but a vapour which appeareth for a short while, then vanisheth away. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we believe with all our hearts and souls that thou hast been one of our number this evening. We thank thee for the challenge that thou hast brought from thy precious word. And Lord, we know within our hearts and souls that thou hast spoken to the hearts and souls and lives of young people. Very conscious of the promptings of the Spirit of God. We think of this final chorus. Go through with God. Thy vows to pay and thy life upon the altar lay. The Holy Ghost will do the rest. If we give to him our very best. We've been reminded this evening, boast not thyself of tomorrow. That life at best is very brief. And so, Lord, we ask of thee that thou wilt bring young people, men and women, to that place of complete surrender to God. We pray that thou wilt bless us even as we travel home this evening. Think of that thought of the vapour. It appears for just a short while, and then it vanisheth away. Oh, grant that our lives might tell for the Lord Jesus Christ. And grant that thou wilt make the rest of our days the best of our days. For our lovely Lord and Saviour, bless the things which have been provided. Bless them to our bodily use, we pray, and hallow our fellowship together. Lord, most of all, we pray that the devil might not steal away the good seed of the word of God that hath been sown this evening. For we ask these things in the Saviour's name. Amen. For those who don't know, you go out that door, that door, this one, any of those doors, and head north. All right. And the church hall is there. That's where the food's served. So first, to get there, gets it first. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> 